Thank you for coming to the podcast. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by the flexible one, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, the aforementioned website, Our Mothership. Head on over to the podcast tab. You can get our archives. We're 39 episodes deep, but you can also get us on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Really, wherever a podcast is being streamed, we have an RSS feed. I didn't know what it was originally, but it apparently gets our show to you, the listeners. And I'm very proud to announce that our RSS is now available on MMAPodcast.com. It's the preeminent and premier website for all MMA podcasts, and we're on it. And we're also on a little social media platform called Facebook. Gumby, how do our fans get us on Facebook? You can search for Top Turtle MMA and just click the like button right next to our brand new logo. And when you do that, you will get our picks and our parlays all in your news feed along with the show. You can also get us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. And you could email us, MMA at gmail.com. We are accepting both love and hate mail currently. And this is all brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Sisu Mouthguard, the best mouthguard on the market. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink. If you do a high-impact sport activity and you're not using a sisu mouth guard well shame on you just shame on you and shame on you if you don't get their newest mouth guard which will be out later this month it's the sisu next gen so head on over to sisu guard.com and keep your eye on their shop page for when that's available the sisu next gen it's going to be more star trek the next generation than saved by the bell the new class if you follow my pop culture reference sisu mouth guard brings you episode 39 of top turtle mma podcast Welcome to the show. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This is the fastest fight news on the internet, in the MMA world. While other shows might go on and on about their day or their hair, we get right into the news. Just the stuff you care about. We'll start with this. UFC Fight Night 96 Portland. John Lineker took the split decision win over John Dodson. Gumby, what were your thoughts on this fight, and where do you go next with the two fighters? So, I, I mean, I like, uh, I had Dodson winning this one, surprisingly. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, I think just he landed more shots, he looked more technical. Uh, and the running didn't bother you? It, it doesn't bother me just in the fact that I, I think it's part of MMA now. You know, Connor ran from Nate, uh, Condit ran from... From the uh, older Diaz, yeah, from Nick Diaz. So th- the fact that people are running, I-, I think it's the same as shuffling away. Really, it, it just looks worse on-, on the camera. And if that's part of their game plan to reset, I, I think it's just a normal part of it. Um, and-, and you know, as-, as far as what you do with Lineker next, it's hard to say that he deserves a title shot after that win because it's a close win. And, and, and he, he missed weight. weight. Yeah, he misses weight. So, Jinx. And, and it's not like it's the first time you miss weight, right? Can you reward a guy who's missed weight like fucking five out of the last six times? Not only that, he was missing weight at flyweight, comes up to bantamweight to have more missing. comfortable mi- uh, weight cuts, and he's still missing. Old school Anthony Rumble Johnson problem. Uh, yeah, no, so I, I give him somebody like Brian Caraway. Uh, Someone you know. at the tops of the division, but you're yeah. not ready to give him a title shot yet. Brian Caraway, Thomas Almeida. Somebody like that. He doesn't deserve uh, – I mean, you could even give him Aljamain Sterling, uh, although that actually might be a more fun fight for John Dodson, both coming off a loss. Speaking of missing weight, in the co-main event, Alex Oliveira, the other cowboy as he is known, missed weight by about five and a half pounds, ended up getting a TKO win over Will Brooks in the third. Brooks broke his rib in the fight. What did you make of Oliveira's performance and also post-fight antics? 
giving a DX crotch chop to a downed opponent. I mean, that's, that's already Bush League enough if we're just talking from, like, an MMA perspective. I mean, there, there are people, if there was smack talk before the fight, I don't mind that a little bit after the fight. But the fact that he did it while he was down right near him and he missed weight by six pounds. Did he even try to make weight? I mean, like, you know, don't get me wrong. I know people miss weight for a, for a multitude of reasons, but that is a lot of weight to miss. So the guy agrees to fight you six pounds heavy and you're that disrespectful. Uh, just unacceptable. So, I, I mean, overall a good performance, but when you don't have to cut weight, I, I assume it's a lot easier. All right, we will move now to some more uh, news bits, and a lot of it centers around the big man himself. Dana White has said a lot of things, a lot of impactful statements in the past week. We'll start with this one. He mentioned that after 205, UFC 205 at MSG, Connor will make a quote-unquote left-field announcement. What could that be, Gumby? I, I'm assuming he's talking about something about the titles. Um, I, I know that doesn't sound out of left field because that's what we're all paying attention to, but I really think it's that. I know you're, you think it's boxing or you think it's something like that. The only other thing I could say is it might be professional wrestling. That's what I think as well. Uh, I think there was I, a court- I thought you were going to go the boxing realm with it. No, I, I don't. Um, I, I think there was a coordinated effort on WWE's part to all talk shit on Conor yeah, this you past summer. Yeah, you mentioned that last time. Yep. All calling him a small man. I think it all plays out in a WrestleMania win for Conor McGregor over their biggest guy, maybe the big show. Uh, but that I could see as left field. A lot of the dark corners of the internet, if you populate messages, boards are speculating on a year-long uh, retirement because he's burned out or a pregnancy from his girlfriend, uh, but you're going with just a some type of announcement of dropping one of the two belts. Yeah, I, I think maybe he, he is officially letting one of them go. I wouldn't be surprised if it was wrestling either. I'll I'll accept wrestling as a possible answer. Very fair. And then uh, moving along with things Dana White has said, uh, and it it's a perfect segue. He said to TMZ he never thought that the Connor Mayweather fight was going to come together, and that's one of the more obvious statements. But when you hear it from the president of the UFC, he made a hardline stance saying. Mayweather would have to learn to elbow and to kick well, if they were to ever fight. Uh, and I agree with that, too, because from as I said before, when we first started talking about this potential fight, the UFC has so much to lose. The UFC has their figurehead to lose, and UFC has face to lose with boxing. If he goes over there and loses a boxing match or wins a boxing match, there's really no gain for him. There's a huge potential loss. Well, if he won a boxing match, though, there would be gain. I mean, like a little bit, maybe, but like, I think the loss potential is so much bigger. You lose your biggest star, and you have boxing hanging over your head for the rest of the time. Boxing is nothing over MMA right now, except for their very top boxers make better money. But as far as what the promotions are making, the promotions are not making what the UFC is making. And that is the potential damage to the UFC if their figurehead goes over and gets beat by a boxer. Fair enough. And we move on to the next crazy thing Dana White said. Well, maybe it's not crazy. Uh, he said that Ronda very much wants the cyborg fight. Do you I, believe this? I don't buy it. Uh, you know, Ronda wants her belt back. Ronda has said in the past the thing that has made her, that she's built her identity on is being a champion and being the best. Beating a person at catch weight or at a different weight for no belt is not going to do that. If they invent a 145-pound belt and they said she could fight for that one and then the 35-pound belt if she fails, I bet you she'd be on board for it. But I don't think the UFC is doing that. They're trying to set up a super fight, and this is more uh, you know, public negotiating like you talked about in the past, and I, I, I think it's bullshit. 
Okay, very fair. I was actually just about to ask you, let's go down the rabbit hole of why would Dana say it then? Yeah, he's, he's trying to, to, to make it sound like Rousey wants it. And then if he thinks if he says it enough in the media, people will keep asking Rousey about it. And she'll think it's like, oh, this is what I need for my legacy. She thinks in her head what she needs for her legacy is a belt around her waist. And no matter what Dana White says in the public, that's what she's going to think. We'll move now to the next thing Dana White said in perfect segue because <laughs> it was about Ronda Rousey. He said Ronda Rousey is, quote, the UFC's biggest star of all time. And you know what? Let's not split hairs. I know Ronda and Connor probably are one and two at this point when you look at pay-per-view buys. Obviously, Brock is in the mix. Obviously, GSP and Anderson are there. Liddell took the sport out of the dark ages. Ronda and Connor are kind of on this new stratosphere where it's okay to like MMA, a little more mainstream. Ellen DeGeneres having Ronda on the show. Show. It's a whole new world right now. But here's where I take issue with it, Gumby. I'm going to kick to myself on this one. <laughs> Dana White said Ronda's the biggest star of all time and then cited that Brazilian fans cheered for her when she went down to Brazil and fought Betch Cahaya. And he said, hey, Brazilians always cheer for Brazilians. Ronda's the biggest star because Brazilian fans cheered for her. That, to me, is some anecdotal evidence. Let me just give you some raw facts. Here are Ronda Rousey's last three pay-per-view buys. 1.1 million versus Holly, 900,000 versus Betch, 590 versus Singano. Here are Conor McGregor's last three pay-per-view buys. 1.65 a record, 1.6, and 1.2. In what metric can you tell me that Ronda is a bigger star other than she has more Twitter followers? Yeah, so I, I will give you that he definitely sells better, but I think part of that too is that all of those fights that you've had Conor McGregor up against – are people who are already big names in MMA and draw that diehard MMA fan in. I think Ronda probably had some some problems selling to like huge mainstream MMA fans and did a better job selling to the common fan. And I think that's where Dana White thinks she's a bigger star is because to a common person, more common folk who aren't diehard MMA fans care more about Ronda Rousey than they do about Conor McGregor. And it's because she brought combat sports to be cool for women which nobody's ever done Layla Ali tried it like what was that seven eight years ago mm -hmm. and and it really didn't work and Rousey made it happen Rousey wound up in Hollywood Rousey sold a ton of pay-per-views which no woman had ever really done in combat sports I agree I think that's a great point and I just wish that he would have maybe brought up some of that and said you know what Ronda's probably biggest in reaching a mainstream appeal Connor's probably biggest in that he brings in the box office numbers and I will say you know the Zingano fight only bringing in 590,000 that was before her movies Fast and the Furious I believe and yeah. Expendables 3 which I went and saw on opening night there were only 11 other people in in the theater uh but that's another story for another time we'll move now uh we didn't get to talk about this last week it's worth bringing up now uh jose aldo quit the ufc last week after it was announced that connor was going to be fighting eddie alvarez uh we still don't have much word on it other than his coach andre pedaneris saying that he will fight the ufc in court this to me seemed like just sort of a hothead reaction to uh the announcement that he wasn't getting the connor fight your thoughts. I, I'm calling bullshit on this one, too. Yeah. Uh, I just think that, you know, they wanted that Conor fight really bad. Uh, he probably is offended to the point where he feels like he can quit. But you have to remember, he has literally no leg to stand on. Okay? This is one of those things where the UFC's got him under contract, and they've probably got him for five or six more fights. And, yeah, he can sit out with that inactivity clause, probably, that, you know, in five years, he doesn't have to be a UFC employee. But... 
he is not going to fight for another company. And the funny thing, too, to me was they were like, oh, he doesn't want to do MMA anymore. He's so disgusted with MMA. He's just going to go do another sport. And then they were like, so just release him from his contract. If he wanted to leave to do another sport, he doesn't need to be released from his contract. I'm pretty sure the UFC contracts all say that he just can't fight MMA anywhere else. He can't box anywhere else. He can't do combat sports anywhere else. If he wanted to go be a soccer player, he could go leave and be a soccer player. And I don't think the UFC would have any problems with it. They'd probably freeze his contract and say, go play some soccer. He wants to be released so he can go make money with Bellator. And he wants to be released so he can go make money with World Series of Fighting. And then laugh and say, oh, I took your belt away. Right? He's pissed at the UFC for making a smart money move. Because let's be honest. It's a smart money move for the UFC. Nobody wants to see Conor fight Aldo again after smashing his brains in. So uh, I I bet you this all dies down. And either he sits on the bench for a while or he agrees to fight Max Holloway. I'm not going to add anything. I think you summed it up perfectly. We'll end on these two quick notes, Gumby. Uh, One is more of a bummer, and that is that UFC fighter Josh Saman is reportedly in a coma. Uh, Could be a possible drug overdose. Uh, Details have been sketchy. Saman was a favorite uh, fighter of mine, somewhat up and coming. Had the brutal head kick KO over uh, Eddie Truck Gordon about a year or so ago. Uh, three and two in the UFC. If I failed to mention that, your thoughts? Yeah, it's just really sad stuff. It's been a tough year for combat sports, and uh, I mean, I guess we just thoughts and prayers for the family, hoping he gets better uh, and and comes out of that coma. More yeah. more news to come. Hopefully, something positive to to report next week. And lastly, uh, the UFC released a number of celebrity owners. Are you excited about the fact that either Tom Brady, uh, Ben Affleck, the new Batman, or Maria Sharapova or Mark Wahlberg own a piece of the UFC? So while I am a uh, I'm from Massachusetts. I'm not a big Tom Brady fan, but the other ones are kind of fun. Uh, Guy I was, Fieri. I was a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan growing up. So Flea. for Flea and for Shenny, uh, or not for Shenny, uh, Flea and Kiedis being in it are uh, are kind of a big deal for me. And you got to love uh, the fact that Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, and the Funky Bunch getting involved. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in general it's just good for the company. Those guys will be around. They'll be promoting the brand, whether or not you know actively or just you know. The tweets on Fight Night saying that they're there, um, you know, make the sport more mainstream. So uh, whatever it does to make it that. Yeah, absolutely. The Williams sisters, Sly Stallone, LL Cool J, among the rest. This all came about because Ari Emanuel uh, would get ticket requests from them. He, of course, is the new owner of the UFC. So he went to his uh, celebrity friends who hit him up for tickets and offered them a piece of the pie. And they bought in. This wraps up the fastest fight news update on the Internet. We will turn our attention now to our interview of the week. We had the pleasure and honor of talking to UFC fighter Tim Kennedy. We haven't seen him in about two years. Uh, He's been inactive in the UFC, but he is still active duty, special forces, fighting for our country, fighting for our freedom. I tried to keep my man crush in check, and we are very uh, excited to share this interview with you. We talked about a lot of good things. Tim Kennedy, always good for a, uh, a funny soundbite. This interview is brought to you by New England Submission Fighting. New England Submission Fighting, a mixed martial arts gym in the lovely, quaint, picturesque town of Amherst, Massachusetts. Classes six days a week. Uh, gi jiu-jitsu, striking for MMA, and of course, no gi submission grappling is the specialty. Check out the website, AmherstMMA.com. It's mine and Gumby's home gym. If you're in the Western Mass area, you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't train at New England Submission Fighting for your jits fix new england submission fighting brings you our interview with ufc fighter tim kennedy david tremonti and daniel gumby vreeland of mmamanifesto.com top turtle podcast and we have the honor and pleasure of talking to tim kennedy star of the history channels hunting for hitler 
active duty special forces, current UFC fighter. He runs Sheepdog Response, a self-defense training company. Am I missing anything, Tim? You're a man of many talents. Man, that was a lot, as it was, I think. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I think I think you got everything. Perfect. Uh, Tim fights Rashad Evans on November 12th at UFC 205. Uh, Tim, you're five weeks out or so. Uh, we haven't seen you in about two years. Is there anything uh, you realize in the lead-up to a fight that you missed about preparing for a fight? Anything you realize you don't miss at all? Oh, man, yeah. Uh, actually, I think everything about fight camp I hate as much as I did before. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the biggest things that infuriate me are living in Austin, Texas and smelling brisket. There's a, there's a barbecue <laughs> place not even a mile from one of the places that I train at. So every time I'm going and coming from there, I smell the, the beautiful scent of brisket. Wow. And, That's, tempting. Uh, That's tempting right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously it's not in my diet. I'm, I was 40 pounds over now I'm 20 pounds over. So I'm, I'm on track to make weight, but I have to keep doing things the right way or I'll have a very pouty, Dana White, and I'll lose 20% of my purse. <laughs> and we would not want a pouty Dana White. Uh, now, are you are you going back to to Jackson Winks? That, that's where you formerly trained at. Are you just doing this close to home in Austin now? What's, what's your training camp like? No, I usually did half and half. I would do um, half here in Austin and the other half there, and it's going to be the same this fight camp. Um and so I leave this weekend to go to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where, and I'll be there for the next four and a half weeks. Um, Cowboys on the card as well. So he and I, I think, will be doing a lot of training together. I'll probably spend a lot of time out at the ranch in addition to Jackson Winklejohn. Um, so there's no, there's not going to be really any change to a normal fight camp than than what I've done previously. Just I'll have a lot higher level guys and a lot more of them because Jackson's is packed these days. I mean, I'm seeing a documentary in the making you and cowboy training for a fight during the day, doing badass guy stuff at night. It seems like a perfect combo right there. You two training together and living together at the ranch. Now we're on the phone today and I posted a thing on Instagram a few days ago, um, showing a strong hand only reload. So you shoot with one hand and then you holster the gun, grab the magazine, put a new magazine in then you rack the slide just with your strong hand and engage the same target. Well, Cowboy gets on there and he starts trolling me on my own Instagram post, being like, oh, man, I do that, I do that in the dark, but I only do that weekend, or I do that <laughs> blindfolded. Um, so I'm on the phone with him today, and he's like, uh, hey, make, make sure you actually bring some of those toys that you think you're good at so I can show you what a real man does. Um, so in addition to the fight camp being – serious and intense and fantastic. I think I'm going to make a lot of really poor life decisions that won't <laughs> bode well for um, self-preservation. I look forward to the UFC embeddeds now so much more. Um, I want to go back. Uh, you know, we haven't seen you in about two years. Obviously the last time you fought was against Yoel Romero Stoolgate, as it's come to be known. Uh, you knocked Yoel silly going into the end of the second round. He could not answer the bell and get up. For the start of the third, but his his management team pulled the bush league move of leaving the stool in the in the octagon to bide him more time. How does that still does that does that loss you ended up losing in the third round? Does that loss still kind of sit with you and sting at all, or are you completely over it? And did John McCarthy ever apologize? Because I feel like he should have gotten that stool out quicker. Um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of questions that are that are very complex. Yes, it still bothers me. I'm not going to lie and say that anytime I fight, I, I, I like fighting fair. You know, I'm like a black and white guy. And when it comes to the rules, you know, I've, I've never used any performance enhancing drugs. I train hard and I expect my opponents to have that same mentality of sportsmanship. Um, obviously, he doesn't, never has. He cheats in every single fight that he's ever been in. And whether it's poking a guy in the eye, kicking him in the balls, grabbing the cage, um, or in this case, having too much Vaseline and then spilling a bag of ice and then leaving a, you know, a stool and then not even getting up and then pretending he doesn't speak English. You know, like, I mean, that was just like six different sheets all in one fight. Right. Um, so it's super shading. And we know that he uses steroids, um, which miraculously he's able to pay his way out of a longer suspension. I don't even know how that works, but you know, if I ever get pinned, let me, uh, Get his attorney. Tim, if you get pinned, my whole world is going to come crashing down. Yeah. You know, I, I, I won't. Don't, don't worry. Never, <laughs> never in my life will I. <laughs> Thank you. And then we, I, I asked you too many questions. And then, I apologize. And then no, did, no. Did, did John McCarthy ever apologize? Because I feel like he should have been quicker on the draw. So I was at a Bellator fight this weekend, and right in front of me was John McCarthy. And we haven't spoke or seen each other since then. Um, he, and I'm sitting with my, my friend Shane Steiner and Shane's like, man, we, you, you haven't talked to him. Right. And I was like, no. And he's like, well, what are you going to say? I'm like, man, I don't know. What should I say? He's like, I don't know. I just punch him in the mouth. I'm like, well, I'm not going to punch John in the mouth. And, uh, so, you know, John turns around and he's like, Hey Tim, what's going on? And you know, he, 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 he starts apologizing, you know, and he's like, you know, I, have wanted to talk to you. And I was like, listen, John, it's been two years. You know, we're not going to have this conversation now while we're at fights. You know, like, yes, you messed up. And it would have been water under the bridge. I just come to me and said, dude, I messed up. Not a problem. Like, that's what men do. That's what adults do. And it wouldn't have been an issue. Now, two years later, as you, as you've kind of tried to like cover the, the obvious blatant mistake that you made in the cage, um, not, now you're, you're, you're coming to me on the side and like, ah, so this, this isn't exactly how it's supposed to happen. You know, moving forward, you know, if you make a mistake, say you make a mistake and it's not a deal. It's not a problem. You know, like I make mistakes all the time and I, I, you know, there's, and I, I think it's a, it's a testament to somebody's character when they can own that and say, ah, I made a mistake. Now let's move on or, or what can, I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure I don't do it a second time. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that mistake will happen again to John. Um, but, uh, you know, so he did talk to me and we are good. So if he ends up cornering or roughing my fight, it will be fine. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. That's a happy ending. Now, would you fight Yoel again, knowing what we now know that it's proven he took a tainted supplement or steroids or whatever you want to call it? Would you fight him again, knowing that? I don't think he should ever be allowed to fight. Um, if you if you can give me a UFC fight that he has been in that he hasn't cheated, I would love to fight him again. But you can't because every single contest he's ever been in in the UFC, he's blatantly cheated. He's blatantly violated a rule. And I don't think that in any way, shape, or form, he should be permitted to fight. I, I think it's an insult to Chris Weidman that Chris Weidman has to fight him. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell Chris flat out, like you need to know that when you hurt him and you're going to hurt him, he's going to cheat. He's going to do anything in his power. If, 
If he's about to get taken down, he's going to grab the cage. If he's tired, he's going to poke you in the eye. If he needs a second to breathe, he's going to kick you in the balls. If he can't get off the stool, he's going to have his corner man put on too much Vaseline. He's going to spill a bag of ice. He's going to pretend he doesn't speak English. You know, it's going to be thing after thing after thing. That is not what a UFC athlete should behave like and should be permitted to behave like. If we're going to have a bunch of jokesters that aren't making weight or cheating, then they can't be allowed to compete. Very fair. Very fair. Uh, now, you're fighting Rashad Evans. Why Rashad? Why now after the two years? How, what excited you about, about the Rashad fight that, that got you back to the UFC? Uh, the venue is a big thing. You know, the first fight in New York. I, I, I fought in all the biggest, you know, like MGM and Mandalay and um, Staples Center, like all the, all the kind of the big, big things for me, being from California, Staples Center, um, you know, Madison Square Gardens has that, that it factor. Being able to say, I fought on the biggest card in UFC history so far, you know, bar not, not even excluding 100 or UFC 200. I think this is the biggest card in UFC history. It is. And I'm fighting, and I'm fighting Rashad Evans, former light heavyweight champion, you know, tough winner, first fight at 185. There's a lot of there's a lot of huge factors that that could make this this be the fight of the night stylistically. Both of us complement each other for us to have one hell of a fight. And then you look at um, how the 185 weight class has shifted in the last year, um, where there's not a real clear linear line to the title. You know, where Dan Henderson is getting to fight for the title, where Michael Bisbing is the current champion. You know, like where, where you have Chris Weidman fighting Yoel Romero, Luke Rockhold fighting Jacare. Um, both of those have title implications. Then you have Mosasi you know, fighting this, this very weekend against another cheater, Vitor Belfort. Um, you know, I put on the performance that I know I'm going to when I fight Rashad. I don't think it's far-fetched for me be, to be able to get a title shot to, to, you know, to tell Bisbing, if you're in the, if you're in the mood to defend your losses, you know, the most embarrassing loss besides getting waylaid by Dan Henderson is when I picked you apart for 25 minutes and you know, him going for it. I'll have that title within, within one round. And uh, so that's another big motivator. Yeah, and, and we'd certainly love to see that rematch too. Uh, but let's let's be be clear first. You know, Michael Bisping got to get through Dan Henderson first. Is this you predicting that Michael Bisping will beat Dan Henderson? Yeah, I I, I do not see. Um, I don't see Michael Bisping getting clipped like he did the same as he did in the first fight. Um, he's going to be smart. He is a smarter fighter. He's a more patient fighter. Um, he. I, I think he might have even been—he might even be an improved fighter over what he was when he fought Dan Henderson the first time. Um, Dan hasn't changed, and he's—he's he's definitely lost a step or two. Um, so you know, th this this is Mike's fight to lose. He can do everything right and pick Dan apart pretty effortlessly, but um, this is. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I see Michael Bisbing getting an easy win and hopefully looking for the next loss of his that he can uh, try to redeem. 
Uh, going back to the MSG card, because I think you're a thousand percent right. It's the best card in history. I think for hardcore MMA nerds like myself and Dan here, even without Connor at the top, which appeals to the more casual fan base, the card is just stacked. It's full of awesome matchups. You versus Rashad, the Polish Civil War for the 115 pound strawweight title. You know, you go on and on. Every matchup is sick. And I just wonder, you know, you were so outspoken the past 24 months or so about the Reebok deal, about really anything. You speak your mind. Were you kind of surprised they, quote unquote, awarded you with a spot on MSG? Well, I mean, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, they. uh, Yes and no. You know, they 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 um, they know I show up to fight. You know, they, they know that when I go into the octagon, um, I'm not going to stop until, like, they're dragging me out of the cage or I'm going to get my hand raised. Um, so knowing that, I'm a sure thing. You know, like, you've never seen a fight where I'm not going to put on a hell of a show, and that's not any different here. Um so, yeah, maybe it was nice of them to put me on this card, but um, I'm I'm thrilled to be on it, but I think I deserve to be on it. Well said. And we'll wrap up here because I know time is short. Uh, your featured FS1 prelim, does that matter at all? Is pay the same? Are you angry you're not on the main card, or does that just not even matter when the card's so big? Oh, man, when, uh, when a card is like this, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I just – I'm pumped to be on the card – and I'm, I'm going to perform like I should. And most importantly, I'm going to get the win. Um, it doesn't matter where I'm on the card. I'm just pumped on there. Well, Tim, we cannot thank you enough for the time. We really appreciate it. You fight Rashad Evans on November 12th, UFC 205. This has been Top Turtle MMA Podcast with Tim Kennedy. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. All right, there you have it, Gumby. Tim Kennedy. Yeah, Tim Kennedy, uh, super, super interesting guy. Uh, I felt like I was kind of a uh, standby during that interview. That one was uh, all you and your fanboyness. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Tim Kennedy fanboy. Okay, I can admit it. I look up to him. Uh, but do you think I, I kept it in check? Do you think I, I th- he thinks think I'm you, a super nerd or, or I, I what? think you kept it in check. It was probably even a little bit better than when I fanboyed on Arlovsky. Okay, cool. I'll take that. <laughs> so we'll turn – I mean, it was awesome to interview him. We'll turn our attention now to UFC 204, headlined by Michael Bisping versus Dan Henderson for the middleweight title. Least deserving and yet most deserving title shot ever given out at the UFC all at the same time. It takes place in Manchester, England. The British are coming. The British are coming. Uh, Bisping, the first ever uh, British champion in the UFC, gets to headline a card there. And we'll start right at the top. Michael Bisping is coming off the biggest win of his career. He beat Luke Rockhold for the middleweight title. He took the fight on short notice and upset the world. Before that, he beat Anderson Silva and beat Talis Latis. Before that, he's actually on a four-fight win streak since losing to Rockhold back in 2014. Dan Henderson, the legend. Hendo, as they call him. Launching Hendo bombs. He is coming off a win of Hector Lombard. Brutal head kick and elbows back at UFC 199. He lost to Vitor Belfort before that uh, via KO. Knocked out Tim Bosch before that. He's 2-1 and one in his last three. Who you got? Yeah, I, I really liked your original point where you were like, I mean, this is the least deserving title shot in history, right? 
most likely, unless you count Joe Soto. Um, but I think the only one who was upset about it was Jacare, uh, because it wasn't Jacare. Uh, I think you, if you're going with the safe pick, I, I'm going with the same thing that Tim Kennedy said. I think the safe pick is Michael Bisping. Um, if you are a huge Dan Henderson fan in your heart, and you really believe he can land the H-bomb, I, I think it's always possible. And, and Bisping's going to have to avoid it for five rounds because Henderson's got just as much knockout power in round five as he does in round one. But the question is, does he have the speed to do it anymore? I think the answer is no. I think Michael Bisping boxes him up and probably wins a decision here. Uh, okay, interesting. Now, of course, it should be mentioned that Henderson brutally knocked out Michael Bisping back at UFC 100. Tim Kennedy alluded to it when we interviewed him earlier in the show, uh, but we all believe that Bisping is a better fighter since then. He's obviously not going to circle into the Hendo bomb like he did back at UFC 100. Yeah. And I also want to go back to my point that it is still the most deserving title shot of all time because it's Hendo. He's a legend. He's going out. You know what? At the end of the day, the UFC, it's part sport. It's part spectacle. As much as I rather it be like 89% sport and 11% spectacle, sometimes I get involved in the spectacle of it all. And that's why I don't mind Dan Henderson getting a title shot in what's probably going to be his last fight. I think we all don't mind that. And what a story it would be if he walked into England, took it off of their champ, and then just retired. Never let anybody have another shot at him. It would just be one of the best sports stories as he, like, completes the trifecta of titles of Pride, uh, Strike Force, and the UFC all together. Right. It would be never, amazing. Never been a UFC champion, and now he could go out as UFC champion. It's a great story. I almost wish it was in America just because, hey, <laughs> America. But, uh, listen, Dan Henderson is the plus 195 dog, uh, Bisping the minus 235 favorite. I feel like Bisping is appropriately, uh, you know, placed at the minus 235 Hendo is only a plus 195 dog? Yeah, I expect him to be a bigger dog. I'm not even tempted at plus 195. He would have to get close to three in order for me to be interested. Plus 300. Fair enough. Uh, we'll move now to the co-main, another middleweight offering. You have Vitor Belfort taking on Gegard Mousasi. Uh, Vitor Belfort, the legend, uh, has fallen on hard times here recently. Ever since TRT Vitor stopped being a thing. Uh, he's one and two in his last three. He lost to Jacare via TKO, beat Dan Henderson, though, about a year ago via KO, and lost to Chris Weidman via TKO back in May of 2015. So one and two in his last three, as I mentioned. Gegard Mousasi is on the upswing in the middleweight division. He's on a two-fight win streak, beat Thales Latis, and beat Tiago Santos back at UFC 200, lost to Uriah Hall back in September of 2015 uh, via some flying uh, knee and punches action uh it was a tko loss in the second round he by most accounts won the first round but he is two and one in his last three and if you want to go back a little further he's four and one in his last five who do you have here? i got Giger musasi all the way uh all of those things you mentioned about belfort not being what he used to be before you know he started testing positive trt was off the, the limits and stuff like that Gegard Mousasi also just has a wrestling game that is far superior to Vitor Belfort. His forward pressure is better than Vitor Belfort. I just think that this is a tailor-made fight for Gegard Mousasi, and it's time to see him against some of the better guys in the division because he's been winning for a while now and hasn't really gotten that shot yet. You know, I'm not even trying to make like a steroid pun here, but I look at Vitor and I just don't see that same Vitor we saw in his prime years, in his TRT years. He looks 
deflated. He just looks like someone popped a pin in him. He looks a little, I don't know, just deflated. I think if he's going to try to stand and trade with Gegard Mousasi, he's going to be in for a long night. I completely agree with you. Gegard, the minus 340 favorite. Vitor Belfort, the plus 280 dog. We're both taking Gegard uh, big time. We'll move now to the light heavyweight division. You have OSP, Ovin St. Pru to you versus Jimmy Manawa. Nice matchup here at light heavyweight. OSP is coming off a shot at John Bones Jones. He lost to John Bones Jones via decision back in April. It's something that almost feels like a distant memory after everything that happened with Jones at UFC 200, but you could almost say that about every turning point in Jones's career. Uh, before John Jones, Ovin St. Pru beat Rafael Calvicante, uh, and then lost to Glover Teixeira before that uh, via rear naked choke. So OSP is one and two in his last three. Uh, obviously a big step up in competition when he lost to Jones back in April. Jimmy Manoa, on the other hand, uh, just lost to Anthony Rumble Johnson via KO back in September of 2015, so it's been a little over a year since we've seen him. Beat Jan Blankowitz before that and lost to Alexander Gustafsson before that. So I think the common theme here uh, is that they've both had trouble when they've gone to that upper-tier elite echelon of the light heavyweight division. That being said, Manoa is 1-2 and two in his last three. Who are you picking? Yeah, these are these are fighters like seven and eight or eight and nine or something like that in that light heavyweight division. They just step up into that Glover to share a range, uh, and it's it's not there. I, I think of the two here, OSP has got the best shot. I think his game's more diverse. I think because he fights so long, he's really tough too. Um, and as we've seen, he's got some wicked wicked ground game. I saw a fight of his in Boston. He knocked out a dude from guard. Um, so the heavy ground game along with the submission game. Uh, I think it's just better than Manoa. Manoa is a good striker, but I think the ground game uh, could be his downfall, and, and if not, OSP's reach. I think it's also worth noting that John Jones was very careful against OSP in that in that fight. Some people called it trigger shy, but you know both Jones and Greg Jackson gave a lot of credit to OSP of not wanting to really stand and trade in any sort of firefight against his power. Obviously, Manoa a more well versed and well rounded striker than almost anyone at that light heavyweight division. But I think your point about OSP being the better all around fighter is uh, looming large in this fight. OSP the minus one sixty favorite. Jimmy Manawa, you could get at a plus 140 dog. We'll move now to the heavyweight division. Really, uh, the main card is just stacked with a lot of meat. You got middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight. No little guys on this card. But we will turn our attention to Stefan, the skyscraper Struve, versus Daniel Omolinchuk. Did I? Omolinchuk. I came close. Uh, Stefan Struve, the skyscraper, as he is known, has looked better of late. He's coming off a win versus Antonio Bigfoot Silva via KO. Stop me if you've heard Bigfoot Silva getting KO'd. Lost to Jared Rochalt before that, the Boar Show, some might call him, via decision, and beat Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira back at UFC 190 in August of 2015. So Stefan Struve is 2-1 and one in his last three. Daniel O, as I will call him, the Polish Bear, uh, is uh, on a three-fight win streak. Beat Chris De La Rocha, uh, beat Jarges Dano, and beat Alexei Olenek back in July of 2016. Uh, his last 
his last loss came against Anthony Free Train Hamilton, but riding the three fight win streak, who you taking here, Gumby? Uh, I'm gonna go with Struve. Well, well, uh, much more well versed than uh, you know Omil Anchuk in the ground game specifically. Uh, obviously, Omil Anchuk got some pretty solid striking, and he's got a good gas tank. And that's really, to me, the only reason why you beat Alexi Olenek. If Olenek just had a little bit more in his gas tank, his ground game wins that one. And I think you know because Struve is so good on the ground, if this winds up on on the ground, I think uh, Omiel Anchuk is in a lot of trouble. And, and people forget about how much knockout power Stefan Struve has, too, because, you know, you think of him as this skinny kind of dopey guy who gets knocked out a lot. Um, but, you know, he's knocked out some dudes with some pretty vicious shots. So I, I would take him by knockout or submission here. I, I see a finish in Stefan Struve's future. All right. Well, Struve, the minus 185 favorite. Daniel O, the plus 160 dog. And now we'll move in a more rapid fire fashion as we turn our attention to the prelims, which are on FS1. Uh, Uri Alcantara will be fighting Brad Pickett. Pickett, the plus 145 dog. Alcantara, minus 165 favorite. What do you think? Uh, I'm a big Pickett fan, and I see him fighting at home, and I know that he just rallies, gets the, the crowd behind him, and they all rally up for him. I, I like his wrestling to beat Yuri Contra here. Uh, as long as he keeps the top game, he could win this. Uh, Ian Urswhistle, this is at bantamweight, just as uh, Alcantara versus Pickett was. Uh, another bantamweight offering, uh, Ian Enswhistle versus Rob Font. Rob Font, a very exciting uh, prospect and striker. He is the uh, favorite here at minus 275. Entwistle, the plus 235 dog. I think this is Font all day. Huge knockout power. Uh, Entwistle has got, you know, some knockout power himself. He picked up a, a win recently by knockout, but not like Font. Font's so quick. So you're taking font all day here. Yeah, all day. Yeah, and Whistle just beat Alejandro Perez via TKO. Or, uh, sorry, he actually lost via TKO. Picked up a heel hook submission versus Anthony Burchak and lost via TKO to Dan Hooker before that. So he's one and two in his last three. Uh, font, on the other hand, uh, the Lemonster, Massachusetts product, uh, has made uh, a name for himself here in the UFC. He has a KO over George Roop and a TKO over Joey Gomez back in January, but he lost a hard hitter. John Lineker via decision back in May. So he's two and one in his last three. Uh, we'll move our attention now to friend of the show. You have uh, Davey Grant taking on Damian Stasiak. Uh, who who are you thinking here? I, I love Grant's grappling. Uh, and when we interviewed him on the show, I talked about it. He's got a phenomenal ground game, and I think he takes it with that this time. And rounding out the prelims, um, you have Leon Edwards taking on Albert Tumanoff, uh, once considered a very big prospect and still a good prospect, but uh, he lost back to Gunnar Nelson in May of 2016 via neck crank. Uh, rather surprising. Well, maybe not surprising because it was Gunnar Nelson. I mean, Gunnar Nelson's ground game is freaking sick. <laughs> is freaking sick. But Gunnar also showed some improved striking in that fight as well. Regardless, uh, Tumanoff was on a three six fight win streak up until that gunner nelson loss so he's six and one in the ufc what do you think in here i think this is a good fighter to get him back on the right track not that rocky edwards uh leon rocky edwards is not a good fighter but i mean just tumanoff is should be right up there and considered in that gunner nelson type talk i mean he got that fight for a good reason um he just got beat by a freaking amazing grappler so i I still consider him one of the better ones in the division. I'd expect him to TKO uh, Leon Rocky Edwards here. Uh, 
uh, Tumanoff, the minus 255 favorite. You could get Edwards as a plus 215 dog if you like him. Now we move to the uh, fight pass prelims. There are going to be four of them. You have Danny Roberts taking on Mike Perry at welterweight. What do you think? Uh, Mike Perry coming off that huge knockout of Gaulim. Um and, you know, he was like a five to one underdog or something. I think they stepped him in too deep here, though. Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts, uh, really, really, really good wrestling, good striking. It, he now knows that Mike Perry's got that crazy KO power. As long as he stays away from it, I think he's more well rounded than Perry is here. And Danny Roberts, two and zero in the UFC, looking to make it three. You have Leonardo Santos taking on Adriano Martins at lightweight. What do you think? That's a tough fight to call. I think I like Martins. Um, I don't really know which way to go here on this one, just because they're kind of uh, similar in the fact that, you know, they both could probably knock each other out. Um, Martins has got 13 knockouts, um, so certainly they could, but they've also got decent ground games. Martins is a, a black belt in jiu-jitsu and a brown belt in judo. So He had um, a uh, submission win over Darren Cruikshank back in November of 2013 with, a, not with an arm. is like a, a, no. a view of amazing grappling. The dude's got some crazy striking, but I'll go with Martins on this one. Okay, fair enough. Gumby taking Martins. Then you have uh, Lusek Sajewski taking on friend of the show Mark Diacasey at lightweight. What do you think? I think you got to watch some more Mark Diacasey because uh, this man has got two knockouts in a combined one minute in his last two fights. Uh, super exciting prospect to watch. And make sure you go back and listen to our interview with him too because uh, he is a friend of the show. All right, and then we, as of taping, do not have an opponent for Merced Bektik, do we? No, nah, we don't yet, but I will just say I hope to God they find somebody for him because this is a guy who had a ton of steam behind him. He's still undefeated, um, was supposed to have a fight with Arnold Allen, um, who is a great prospect too. Um, that, that was going to be an absolutely amazing fight, but I, I just see that uh, Mirsek Bektik just against somebody to get him back in the, the win column because he's been away for so long with his own injuries, with other people's injuries. On a three-fight win streak, but he has not been around in over a year and a half. Yeah, so it's been a really long time either with his own injuries and others. And it's a great story, too, if you know the story of Mirsek Bektik. Um, came from war-torn Bosnia and wound up living in uh, Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken. So fun guy to watch, great story. Uh, so I'm hoping they find him somebody to fight. And whoever they might pick at the last minute, we're picking Mirsad Bektik. I'm picking Mirsad Bektik. I was going to take him over Arnold Allen in whatever replacement they found him in between then and now. So um, I'd take him over a lot of featherweights. All right. Another Top Turtle MMA podcast in the books. This was a great episode. We can't thank you enough for listening. We can't thank our sponsors enough. Sisu Mouthguard, the best mouthguard on the market. I am David Tremonti. He is the flexible one, Daniel Gumby Vreeland. We are going to go to open mat right now and get ready for our no gi submission grappling tournaments later on this month. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll check you next week.